I don't know about you, but I like things a certain way. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give you an example. Like, when I make a grilled cheese sandwich, I like to cut it diagonally. Anybody else with me on that? Okay, how many of you guys are into like the 90 degree cut? Like, we, okay, oh, that's good. We're good, we're among friends, awesome. Because it's more artistic, it's beautiful when you pull that cheesy gooiness apart it's like that. You know, you know what I mean? I like things a certain way, and when someone does it the way you don't do it, you're like, oh, I guess you could cut it that way, I don't know. Uh, it's an, that's a choice. I like, I like the TV and the radio volume to where I can hear very clearly everything that's going on. Now, there are other people who live in my house, I won't say any names, <laughs> Lindsay, that they like it so soft that it's like background noise. And they're like, can you turn it down? And I'm like, the commercials are louder. It's just the way it is. I'm sorry. Anybody with me on that? I like things a certain way. Now, here's the problem. I live with people who also like things a certain way. And you probably do too. It's difficult to coexist, to use the phrase, when we both want certain things and the certain things are different. If one more Android or PC user comes up to me and talks to me about how stupid and terrible my iPhone and MacBook are, I'm gonna tell them one more time, I don't care. I don't care what your opinion is, because I'm right. I like things a certain way. And you can like it your way if you want to. Now here's the deal, I joke, it's you know, tongue in cheek, whatever. Um, here's the thing that I love about Christianity. The way that Christianity is designed, the way that God put it into motion is that it's supposed to be a unifying movement. It is supposed to bring together one of our deepest needs together, which is our need for God, and show us that way, together. Unfortunately, even among Christians, especially among Christians, we like things a certain way. And there's division, and it hurts. We're starting today a brand new teaching series through the whole book of Romans in the New Testament, uh, and we're calling it The Gears of the Gospel. As I look at the book of Romans, it's one of the bigger New Testament books. It's been called uh, by some uh, Paul's most complete explanation of the gospels, of the gospel, and the gospel being the, gospel being the good news that God gave mankind a way to come back to his love. And so that's Jesus, and that's the whole message of the church and all of that. Uh, Paul was an apostle who went around all over the Mediterranean Sea region planting churches, and he ends up writing a bunch of these instructive letters to these churches, and they end up as the majority of our New Testament today. And the book of Romans was written to a group of people in, in, uh, in that time period. Um, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We'll be all the way through chapter 1 and the first couple of verses of chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible today, the scripture is going to be on the screens beside me here. But also, we got free Bibles that we give out over here on this shelf uh, at the door. So please take one as you leave. Feel free to hop up and go grab one. That's fine. I want to encourage you, just like I did on our last series, we just went through the entire Bible in five weeks a few weeks ago. But this time, that was like a 10,000-foot view of the whole Bible. Now we're going to kind of take a more detailed look at just one book, the book of Romans. And we're going to be doing that for seven weeks. So I want to encourage you a couple of things. One, bring your paper Bibles to church with you uh, every week if you can. We're a digital age, and it's totally fine to use your Bible on your phone or whatever. That's fine. But the discipline of having a paper book with you is going to really, you know, tangibly affect you. Because I also want to challenge us to read it every day, um, or, or at least three, four times a week, and this is my challenge for all of us. Let's read the book of Romans. Let's read the book of Romans together. Uh, I'm going to be going roughly one or two chapters at a time. There's 16 chapters in the book of Romans, and here's my challenge for you. Read the book of Romans specifically as many times as you can in the next two months. For you, that might be one time. That's fine. That's totally good. 
take some notes, highlight stuff, see what you can learn on your own. If you want to try to read it, the challenge I'm giving myself is I want to read it about once a week. I'm going to try that. I will probably fail miserably at that goal, but that's going to be my goal. Uh, Because the more you kind of have this primed in your brain before you come here on Sunday, the more you'll be like, oh yeah, I see where that's coming from. Because we're not going to read every single verse throughout this series. It's just just too much to do uh, in this style that we're doing it. So do that. Uh, Before we get it, so turn to Romans chapter 1 and hold that there. Uh, But before we get into the actual text, let's actually, today is an introduction to the book. Because if Romans is kind of uh, this fullest explanation of the gospel, I want to give us a picture, the gears of the gospel. Imagine that we're walking up to an automobile and we're popping the hood and we're looking under the hood and we're seeing how does this thing work. I've often thought of the book of Romans as like an instruction manual for Christianity. So there's some big cogs, some big gears in Christianity. Think big buzzwords, faith, grace, love, sin, salvation, redemption, all these kind of big words. Those are kind of the big gears, and we're going to be getting into those pretty in-depth over the next following six weeks, but today's an introduction to the whole book, and we're going to be looking through the first chapter because in this chapter, we get a picture of, uh, of the groundwork that's going on. Why did Paul write this book in the first place? And so uh, let's look at a bit of the, of the context. What Paul was writing into was a church in the city of Rome that was experiencing some division. You know why? Because people like things a certain way. And there was a big division, particularly between uh, the Christians who had uh, Jewish heritage, like nationality, and also their faith. And they, they rightly said Christianity is the, uh, the fulfillment of all the Jewish law and the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, and it's a natural transition. And then there's the Gentiles who were some other religion, some pagan religion or some other form of faith, but then they discovered Jesus. And here's the thing about the Jews. The Jews said, uh, yes, you need, to be, you need to be Christian, but you also need to follow all of the Jewish code. You need to uh, follow the Jewish dietary, kosher law. You need to follow the practice of circumcision for your men. And that was not a popular opinion. And like all these things. And, and so there was a division. And so there's a lot going on there. And so Paul writes into this situation. He's like, listen, there, why are you divided over so many issues? Because right now there's something really important you need to focus on. You need to focus on uh, the thing that pulls us together, which is our common need for God. I think that there is kind of a a reason that underlies a lot of the division among people who would call themselves believers. And I want to put this little phrase on the screen. I think it's because we often approach our faith like this. We say, I am a blank Christian. Now, you can fill that blank in with a lot of good things. I'm a happy Christian. I'm a tall Christian. I don't know. But that's not where I'm going, not just like random adjectives. But that we qualify our Christianity with something else. I'll give you a couple examples. I am a conservative Christian. Here's another one. I am a liberal Christian. Now, do you see by adding that qualifier before Christian, what have I done? I've immediately said, I'm a type of Christian that's got it right, and there's some others that maybe not. You feel what I'm saying? Now, maybe you wouldn't use these phrases, but maybe you grew up in like this. And if you did grow up in this heritage, fine. It's it's totally fine, but it's a thing that we, we actually kind of inherit, and we've got to wrestle with. We've got to deal with it. Maybe you grew up saying, I am a Methodist Christian. I am a Pentecostal Christian. I'm a Calvinist Christian. I'm an Arminian Christian. I'm a Lutheran Christian. And those phrases, those qualifiers are actually very helpful because it it helps the body that you're worshiping with kind of know what kind of principles we're leaning on. But also by design, it kind of shows that we're kind of saying that those people 
They don't have it right like we do. I believe that those words began as a goal of unification. I think that as each one of those, in fact, as you look at all of the leaders of some of the names of the denominations, each one of those men had great goals for pulling the truth of Scripture out. I mean, and so there's no, there's no fault there really in that. But as it's grown, it's become more divisive. Um, I got a question that I always ask when I talk about denominations, and it's this. Were the apostles Presbyterians or Methodists? Was Paul a Baptist? Was he Pentecostal? Was he a Catholic? The answer is none of the above. Uh, so what's the solution? I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I'm just making a point. I'm trying to put it out there. This is where uh, our church has tried to land. Uh, you may not be aware of this. We're part of a movement known as the Restoration Movement. The Restoration Movement was a group that started uh, in the early to mid-1800s, and their whole goal was taking denominational labels, these blanks from churches, and saying, whoa, wait, 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 why are we doing that? This is supposed to be a unified movement. We're, in fact, do you know that Jesus's very last prayer before he goes to face the cross was that his believers be unified? And I think he is probably appalled at the fact that we're constantly drawing lines in the sand between one another. And, he, and so this, this movement, the Restoration Movement, has some slogans that were really helpful. They'd say things like, well, we're not the only Christians but we're Christians only. I would challenge you to really think through, if, if you're someone who calls yourself Christian today, stop there. Don't fill in the blank before. Just say, I'm a Christian, I worship Christian. So one of the goals of the Restoration Movement churches is to look at scripture, and we don't have, we're not a denomination in the sense that we have a you know, state, regional, national headquarters, or there's no convention that we gather around and decide, what is each local church gonna teach? No, we just say, no, we wanna, we wanna start local churches that are locally governed, to use a word, and we're gonna read scripture, and we're gonna try to love the world the way Jesus would love it from that standpoint. And do we have it right? No, we don't, we don't, we don't have it right. But we're trying, and so I, I love the phrase, no, peop, no perfect people allowed in church, because uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of what the church is. But the goal is the same, is to say, what can we do to unify? What I loved about the early leaders of that movement was that they actually were from denominational churches, and one of their first steps was to go and remove the denominational titles off of their churches and just say, let's just be, and so that's why often you'll see, we're just venture church, or just church, or you might find a Christian church, or a church of Christ, and those are the titles they used. Um, but this is not a commercial for that movement. This is saying, what can we do to get back to unity together? And as Paul writes into the context of the city of Rome and the church that was happening there, there was some fill-in-the-blank Christians there. And they would say, I am a Jewish Christian, or I am a Gentile Christian. And it got worse. What happened was the Jewish Christians were the ones who actually started the church. They were the leaders, but there was a time when the emperor, his name was Claudius, uh, there's a whole story behind it, but he kicked all the Jews out of Rome. He says, you gotta go. And in the five years that they were gone, they do eventually come back, in the five years they were gone, there was no Jewish influence on the church at Rome. And so as different as they were when, when they were together, after, a lot could happen in five years. The, Gentile, the Jewish Christians come back to Rome and find that the church is way different and way more Gentile than they liked it. And the division was even worse. And so Paul writes into this context. We're gonna jump in chapter one, starting at verse 16. Uh, we're starting at verse 16. I'll give you a little Cliff's Note version of the first 15 verses. Essentially, um, Paul says in the first 15 verses, hey, my name's Paul, I'm an apostle. I recognize the heritage of the Jewish people in this group. I want you to know that's great. I also recognize the heritage of the Gentile people in this group. I want you to know that's great. But I think you're all missing the point. And then he goes on to tell them, listen, you're doing a really good job. I've heard really good things about the church at Rome. So this is coming from a place of encouragement. How can we unify? 
And then in verse 16, he starts some really good teaching, some meat for the gospel. Verse 16, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, read along. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First, for the Jew, little nod of the head to the Jewish crowd, but then for the Gentile. Why first for the Jew? Well, because that's the nation that God worked through and brought Jesus out of. First for the Jew, but not exclusively for the Jew, also for the Gentile. If Gentile is not a familiar word for you, basically this is a word that the Jews used that meant anyone who's not a Jew. So it was literally in Greek, the word means the nations. So the Jews or the nations, that's the way they saw things. Us and them. But Paul said it's not about them. It's for the Jew and the Gentile. Verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He's saying, listen, what brings you into this family is, is faith. Faith is a major cog in the gear system of the gospel. And we're going to save that for another week. Remember, this is just an introduction. And so before we even get to the first cog, the first gear, what I want to do is take a step back and look at the things that Paul's about to teach. And so we're going to read a lot more in chapter one. Uh, are you familiar, familiar with the, uh, the phrase question zero? Have you ever heard about question zero? I, I'll give you an example. Question one might be I go to Subway to get a sandwich. And question one, the guy says, what kind of bread do you want? What kind of sandwich do you want? That's question one. I've made the decision. I'm in Subway. Question one is what kind of sandwich do I want? Question zero is like me out in the parking lot going, it's existential, guys. It's, why do I even want a sandwich? <laughs> question one is simple. Question one is why? That's question one. So it's really useful in any aspect in life. You're going to buy a house. That's great. Why do you want to buy a house? You're going to get married? That's fantastic. People get married all the time. That's great. But why do you want to get married? You want to switch jobs? Fantastic. But why do you want to switch jobs? That's question zero. That's just a freebie life advice. Now you can be smarter. But that's question zero. So before Paul gets into all the, the gears and the cogs of how salvation works, he says, let's back up because we need to ask a simple question. Question zero. Why do we need a savior? Like, why do we even need the gospel? Have you ever asked that? Why do we go to church? Because Grandma drug my butt to church. That's why we go to church. Because mama shook the bed till we got up. That's why we go to church. Because, man, I'm really bored on Sundays and there's nothing on TV when it's not, like, whatever. Like, why do you go to church? Why do we have Christianity? So Paul, in verse 18, kind of, he jumps into what I'm going to call question zero. He doesn't call it that. But in verse 18, and this is why. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, excuse me, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I don't know if you caught the really strong language here. The first word that might have jumped out of you was the word wrath. We like to talk about happy God. Modern Christianity, we like to talk about happy God. Oh, God is love. God is grace, and he is. He's the author of that. But God is not happy when we are living wicked and godless lives. Don't kill the messenger. I'm quoting Paul. 
the wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Paul says, no, God is not happy with us when we live this way. And we say, well, that's not fair. Because not everybody in the world has a chance to go to a church that explains everything to them. That's not fair. Not everyone's heard about Christianity. True. Very true. I've had so many conversations with my friends from different parts of the world or people who are from different faith backgrounds. And that is a, that's a look, we've got to be honest about that. There are people in the world who have not heard the name of Jesus. But Paul doesn't say God is having wrath against them because they haven't got every detail figured out. It's actually, not, it's actually not God's goal for us to wake up and just know all the secrets of the universe. If that were true, he would give us those answers, and many of them we don't have. Instead, he says this. Look at verse 21 again. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And over and over in the Bible, God comes in with some very sarcastically wise, upset statement about idol worship. And through an ancient culture, maybe you're aware, I mean, that was very common. People would worship idols. I spent some time in West Africa, and I remember being in a village, and this whole village was uh, held captive by this little ball of sticks that lived in the middle of the village. And every week, I think it was, they would sacrifice chickens and goats and stuff to this, to this ball. And the very question that Paul asked here is the very question I ask, and it's the same thing that God says over and over again. He's like, God said, it's like, you made that. You carved it out of wood. You cast it out of metal. Like you made that with your own hand. Why would you worship it? You are literally the creator of that. And so we look back on ancient cultures and we were like, fools. We are so wise. But time out. Because it does not take long for us to look through our lives and find man-made things that we devote our lives to. It might be your sweet house or your boat or your car that's taking up all your money and running up your credit card bills. It might be your cell phone or your Netflix account, which you are worshiping with hours and hours and hours of your life every week. It, it, it might be a substance abuse or an overeating issue that you have that you're, just, you're, you're choosing to neglect your body because this thing is controlling you. I, idolatry is not about bowing down to a golden little thing. It's about taking a created thing and giving it the position of God in your life. Something that man made up or that we've decided in our mind that is God in our life and we devote ourselves to it. And you can understand that if you're God and you're the creator and you look at a world who's doing that, you can understand why God's wrath would be enraged because he's like, look, I didn't want this for you. What I wanted for you was love. What I wanted for you was completeness, yet you continue to bow down. And so verse 24, this is going to be a long list of just kind of, if you've got your Bibles, just keep your finger. I'm going to like insert a few commentary here and there, but just keep scrolling down. Because he's going to come and say, okay, because we're willing to bow down to all these things in our life, this, this, is what, this is what the problem is. This is what God's going to allow. So therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts 
to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised, amen. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with, one another, with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not be done. And lest we think that God is cherry picking, I recognize the LGBTQ plus conversation in our nation is huge. And could I stand here and talk about it for an hour? Yes, I would rather not. If that's a big question that you wanna have, let's actually have that one-on-one, let's talk about it. But there's a long list of things here and it's not a cherry picking situation of saying like, this is the worst sin. No, look at this list, it's gonna get all of us, okay? So don't, hang on, don't worry, he didn't forget you. Verse 29, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. I love that. And then listen to this last one. Okay, it's as if he didn't get it all of us. They disobey their parents. Like this isn't Paul just saying, look, some people are worse than others. This is Paul going, listen, because of our human nature, we have straight from the first intended creation of what God gave us. This is how he wanted us to live. And in verse 31, he says, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these things, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. In short, God is saying, okay, if that's what you want with your life, have at it. That very first verse we read, he said, God gave them over to their evil desires. And notice what we're saying here. We're saying that around the world, God has made himself evident by creation. That's the, that's the premise of Romans chapter one. God has made himself evident. I know that myself, whenever I experience doubts or, or faith battles or whatever, I, I, I find myself often stepping back and just going to the basics and going, looking around me and looking at a tree or the grass or thinking about the complexity of the human brain and go, okay, there's something out there. There's, there's something that created all this. I have lots of conversation with people who would who wrestle with their belief of whether or not God exists or not. And a lot of really, really honest, uh, you know, atheists or people who are on the edge of that have told me, like, listen, I, I admit, it's hard to believe that everything came from nothing, right? And so I think Paul's premise here is, listen, creation teaches us that there's something. And the more we study the order of creation, the more we kind of see the order that God has in mind for us. And he's saying, you, you turn your back on that. And what do we turn our backs to instead, turn our fronts to instead? It kind of nails down two things. Number one, we bow down to created things. That's the the things that rule our life. Or number two, we bow down to our own self, our own desires. What makes me feel good, what makes me happy, what gives me the warm fuzzies. And that's what I'm gonna devote my life to. And at the end of all that, Paul says, listen, if that's what you wanna live for, It breaks God's heart. But like a parent who's got an adult child who can't get their act together and finally says, you gotta get off my couch. 
I love you. I love you, but if this, if this is what you want, go do it over there. Because I want so much more for you than this. It's, it's tough love. Now, here's the thing. If this is where the Bible ended, who would want to be part of Christianity? Not me. Okay, God's mad. What's new? That's what every other religion, religion teaches. God's mad. God's mad. We've got to fix it. You gotta make enough sacrifices, you gotta say enough prayers, you gotta go to enough services, you gotta do enough service projects. That's how you fix God's anger. But God says, no, 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 I'm gonna take care of my own wrath. I'm gonna deal with that. Remember, we're answering question zero. Question zero is, why do we need the gospel? The answer is, because we turn our backs on God and he had to send a rescue mission to get us, to get us back in order. As, in, in my mind, as I look at Romans chapter one, that's where I see the answer to question zero. And he starts chapter two like this. So we're gonna cross over in chapter two of Romans. He says, so you therefore, time out, keep the screen up there, but remember who he's talking to. He's not talking to all the nations who maybe have never heard the name of Jesus. He is writing to Christians who know better and who are fighting with each other about some, some infighting about some little details of their own particular belief system. So he's talking to them. He says, you therefore, you have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else, for what, whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you pass judgment and you do the same thing. Remember, they disobey their parents is on the list. And God is like, my righteousness requires righteousness. That's what it requires for a relationship. And you can't do that by yourself. There's got to be someone else who can come in here and help you discover that righteousness. That's why there's a need. There's a lot of things in this world that can divide us. A lot of things. A lot of things that can divide churches. But the thing that we all have in common is the need for a savior. And it's hard. It's hard to admit that sometimes because I am an arrogant white man in my mid-30s who wants to solve every problem by myself. And you can fill in the blank with whatever thing defines you most. But it, it, takes, it takes a lot of humility to step back and go, God, I need you. That's why we, that's why we most often say that prayer when we're in our lowest places. When we're completely broken, when we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, when we've made the biggest mistakes of our life, then we're like, God, okay, save me now. <laughs> I need you now. But God was like, no, 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 no. I need you. I need you to turn to me all the time. And I'm going to provide a way for that. Now, here's the thing. Uh, our church, one of, one of the things I love about our church is we try very deliberately and desperately to be a place that no matter where you are on your faith journey right now, this is a safe place for you. You don't have to check your baggage at the door. You don't have to come in looking and thinking a certain way. This needs to be a place that's safe for you to invite any of your friends to who are just going on any amount of their spiritual journey together. We'll unashamedly say we believe that Jesus is the only way and he's the truth and he's the life and he's the, he's the only way to the Father. But uh, you know what? You might not be there right now. You might completely disagree with me on that. And I want to tell you this. That if, if you're in kind of that limbo state and you're like, I, I don't know, like I'm curious about church, but I'm just here. I want you to know this. God is patient on you. And you're in the same boat that we're all in. 
And it would be completely hypocritical of me to stand on stage or to have anybody else in our church stand on stage and say, we got it together and you don't. Or for us to stand at this door out here and point to the city and say, we got it together and you don't. Or for us to look at any other church family in this city and say, our church has it together and they don't. Because every time we pass judgment on them, we're passing judgment on ourselves because we are guilty for the same thing. And our common need is the need for a savior. And guys, we got to unify. We got to unify with brothers and sisters in this city. We gotta tear down the things. When we have all these different signs on all of our churches everywhere in the city, and all it tells is the people who, who, who aren't with us that we can't get along. It's like, well, all I know is that apparently they can't get along, so they started a new building over there. <laughs> but what if the people in the city knew that the reason we turned to Jesus as God is because we knew that we couldn't do it on our own, that we were humble enough to to submit to him, and then that from that place, he could bring us a new righteousness that we couldn't have on our own. We could then stand in the presence of God because we're covered with, with his presence, and then here's the beautiful thing. We can overflow that love into the lives of the people that we encounter every day. Why the gospel? Because there's no other way. God has given us a plan Chapter 2, verse 7. Let's let Paul preach some. He says, to those who by persistence in doing good. I, I want to read this sentence to you, but i got to be honest. This sentence confuses me. It took me a long time to unpack it, and let's see what we can get out of it together. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now, you can't just cherry pick verses out of the Bible you can't. This verse, what it says is, if you try real hard, God will give you eternal life. Um, and, but other places in the Bible, we understand like there's no amount of trying that gives us eternal life. And so you got to put it in the context. Here, here's what I'm seeing in this. Because remember, we're also addressing people around the world who may have never heard of the name of Jesus, but just by creation, they've been made aware of God's presence. Now, I'm not going to put words into God's mouth. I can't do that. That's not my place. That would be sinful of me. But I believe that God's grace is huge. And I believe that there are people around the world who have sought God with everything in them. Jesus is the only way to, 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 to God's presence. But man, God also sees the energy we're putting into seeking him. I don't know what that means. I, I'm sorry, that's above my pay grade. I have no answers. They didn't give me that degree. Nobody could. But that's a good sentence. Pack, that's the beauty of the Bible. Read it over and over. Try to figure it out. Talk with your friends. Let's keep going to verse eight though. Because this is clear. This is easy. Verse eight is easy. But those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil there will be wrath and anger. I'd rather just kind of lean more towards verse, verse seven myself and just see what I can do to get into God's good graces and in his presence. Verse nine, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, Jim for the Gentile. You see what he does with these kind of bookends here? He starts out by saying like, look, salvation came for the Jew, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But then he's like, but just to let you know, I want you to know something. This wrath of God thing, that's also first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. There, there's no dividing line for God over like who's more important and who's not important. He's like, all of you just need me, okay? Verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. It doesn't matter what your background is. God wants you and me and everybody out here in Wilmington, New Hanover County, and beyond, 
He wants us in his family. He's not concerned about the blank, the fill in the blank before the word Christian. In fact, here's the reality. The fill in the blank before Christian, that, that, that first qualifier does not have the power to save you. It doesn't. Only the name of Jesus does. And God says, listen, I, I want you. I want you in my family. I've gone to extremely great lengths to prove that to you. I became a human being. Let's, let's recap, or if you've never heard this, I want to make sure you know what the gospel is. This is the gears of the gospel. This is what we're talking about. The gospel says that God made himself a human being, and we call that human being Jesus. And that human being lived a perfect life, and in the last three and a half years of his life, he gathered some some disciples around him to teach the ways of God. And every time he taught, he taught about the kingdom of God that was at hand. He said, this kingdom is gonna change the world. And this kingdom is not a kingdom the way that you think of it. It's not gonna be about you. It's not gonna be about money. It's not gonna be about territory. It's not gonna be about boundaries and politics. It's gonna be about love. It's gonna be about service. It's gonna be about humility. It's gonna be about gentleness. It's gonna be about patience. It's gonna be about God's grace. This is the gospel. And then after that three and a half years of teaching, that this perfect man gave his life on a cross and that anyone who believes that that man then raised from the dead by the power of, his, of God within him would be saved from their sins and that question zero would become now a moot point for them because God in his infinite power and in his infinite righteousness says I'm willing to forgive you now let me show you your place in the kingdom that's the gospel. We don't have to spend our life wasting it, bowing down to created things. The question that we gotta wrestle with, every one of us, is who is gonna be our Lord? The creation or the creator? And the infinite, all-powerful, glorious, holy, righteous God points down right at you and he says, I choose you. Will you choose me? And we're invited on a journey of renewal, of fresh starts, of eternal life. And it all begins and it all ends with Jesus. That, guys, is an introduction to the book of Romans. And I want to challenge us to read it, be in it, study it, discuss it with your families. Parents, here's a challenge. Talk about it with your kids. Spouses, here's a challenge. Talk about it with your spouse. And see what we can learn together over the next two months. It's the fullest explanation of the gospel. And we're just getting started. Let's pray.